COVID isn't our first respiratory pandemic epidemic in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, right? We've, we've right. lived through Mars, we've lived MERS, we've lived, lived through SARS, yeah. uh, you know, obviously we've had Ebola, et cetera. So... So hello and welcome to the Health Tech Marketing Podcast. Um, I'm Adam Charinas and I'm your host for today. I'm the CEO and founder of Health Launchpad. And this podcast is presented to you by Hims and my company Health Launchpad. And uh, I want to give a big thank you to you for joining us today. Um, I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I've got a, a great, great guest uh, who I'll introduce momentarily. Just a little bit of context. So why is it that we do this podcast? Well, the reason we do this is that, look, healthcare and selling to healthcare is incredibly hard. It's the hardest sector, in my view, to sell a market to. I just don't think there's anybody that's tougher to, tougher to, to market to. And so we can all use a little bit of help. And so this podcast is an opportunity for you to get insights and practical advice for other leaders in the marketing world, in, in health tech and healthcare marketing. And so I've got a great, great guest for you today. Um, uh, a guy I've got to know a little bit over the, uh, the last, uh, last couple of months. Um, I want to introduce to you Carsten Russellwood. Carsten is a long-time healthcare marketing and healthcare technology marketing guy. Um, and he is the chief marketing and experience officer of Equim Medical. So Carsten, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself and tell us a bit about Equim Medical. Adam, I like that intro. Uh, and congratulations for designing and innovating such a concept because uh, you know, as marketeers, we go through a journey, right? We, we begin eyes wide open. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, we narrow them because we think we know everything. And, and really, I think what hopefully we leave this podcast with is the urgency to continue to be curious and to learn. Um, that's really what's driven my career, uh, Adam, over the years. Uh, I started as a fresh uh, eyes wide open undergraduate and went right to work with GE, designing medical devices that were incredibly meaningful. Uh, and somewhere on that journey, I realized that it wasn't so much just the device, it was the data that was coursing through that device and being connected to other places. And so that led me from GE to Philips, uh, which spent a decade in informatics and telehealth, uh, really, as we think about transforming health in parallel to the innovations that have happened uh, into a complete digital enterprise. And as COVID hit, and I think all of us spent the time to think about what was meaningful, I realized that I hadn't yet understood or even really uh, experienced that final mile in care, which is spending time mm. with providers and clinicians and really realizing what delivering care means. And so that purposeful move was to Equimedical in September. And mm -hmm. with it, uh, really, my eyes have opened again to realize how critical it is that we somehow tackle the great divide in equity uh, in care accessibility across not only mm -hmm. the U.S., but the more I learn, uh, the same problems are endemic everywhere. So we are the provider people at Equimedical. 
Uh, we yep. bring telehealth-enabled provider services across many different service lines to health systems around the world. Ah, so your customers are the provider organizations, is it primarily? That's correct. So we're yeah. oriented primarily towards hospitals, health systems. Um, but really, I think what's interesting is understanding that that isn't one segment and that isn't one customer. Mm. We can have the massive IDNs with affiliated hospitals, or we can have those standalone critical access or community hospitals. In fact, earlier today, I was on a call with one in Arizona and the problems about leakage, losing customers, losing patients to a larger system, simply because they didn't have the capabilities locally to treat those patients. Huh. Uh, if you think what that means is it means that we're going to have care deserts in the U.S. because hospitals are going to close because patients are just going to move past them, right? So I think we're at an absolutely interesting point where telehealth and technology are being able to bring those providers that ordinarily won't be in the small community hospitals to those hospitals and through that, keeping those patients with care in their communities. Really interesting. It's very interesting that you you know, the, the, the company that you're involved with, essentially, you were a service provider, a physician service provider. But I also think you're very much a digital company and a digital transformation company. Um, and you and I have had this conversation about digital transformation. And I, I just think I'm really interested in your, your perspective, and particularly given the journey that you've been on, where you think... You know, how do you think the healthcare systems are doing with this digital transformation journey? Well, I think healthcare in general has lagged uh, other industries, especially lagged in innovation to consumer parallels. Um, as we all have noticed, COVID was that catalyst. And I think hospitals yeah. and, and even providers, PCP offices, realized that they needed to remove the barriers of location, which historically have been in-house. Um, and they needed to be able to extend hospital-grade healthcare beyond the hospital and into the home. And, and this was the real beginning of that move directly to what we call, uh, you know, virtual first. Um, and, and that yeah. is a new clinical workflow. It is replacing, not even augmenting the standard of care. We see hospitals across the country looking at how to innovate emergency department surge capacity or how to divert patients when their uh, nurses are in, in short demand and they need to be able to uh, manage higher volumes or even try and have patients that are less sick be cared for in the home rather than in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, kind of that, that old story here of, you know, if, if we build the, uh, the, the field of dreams model, right? And, 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 you know, field of dreams really shared this idea that if we build it, they will come. Now, what that meant was we would have these gleaming towers that everybody <laughs> would drive to. And that phenomenon is now past us because of technology. We're not trying to build it and have people drive to it and centered. Instead, we're actually trying to distribute it. And in fact, through COVID, we've realized that that probably is a, a better overall design of health and care. So in the work that you guys are doing, are you, are you, are you seeing that organizations are essentially sort of distributing 
where the physicians are from being kind of like within a few square mi- a, a few a, a few miles of a patient to globally and i mean how how are, how are, you know how are healthcare systems doing with that concept i know obviously during covid they had to out of necessity but you know is we're now entering a new phase with virtual first and and where do you think we where, where we're at where do you think we're at right now and where do you think we're going with that I think I think that's a good way to look at it. I think there was a need-based period where there was an urgency. COVID, right? We had right. to, yeah, you had we to, had yeah. to say yeah. our hospitals are closed. How do we reach our patient? Um, and now I think there's a, a a tolerance and acceptance period, which will transition finally to the adoption period. Mm-hmm. Um, the The reality is across the United States, we do not distribute equitably providers, whether it's a doctor or a nurse, a pulmonologist, an intensivist, a neurologist. I can't just sprinkle them across the country and say, there we have, we now have this, Hmm. you know, veritable Noah's Ark of of clinical coverage. Instead, we see them populating the urban areas, the metropolitan areas, which makes obvious sense. Now, the reality is, even through some uh, recent, uh, you know, administrative and, and policy changes, there is a big drive and incentive to help bring care to the communities, but that is only going to be temporary. And we know that it's not sustainable, primarily because supply and demand, which is you know, one of our, our most basic principles, isn't, isn't equal here, right? And right. so what we need to do is be able to satisfy the fact that less providers need to be able to see more patients where those patients are. And the only way that we can do that without re-architecting and re-engineering where people live is allowing technology to do it. And telehealth has absolutely been that, uh, that gift to us that while really it's, it's you know, over a quarter century of you know, use in, in, acute, in acute care, uh, it's really only taken to prominence in the last decade or so. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you, you, what you said is right. I think it's interesting. You 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 use the word catalyst for COVID, and I think some people call it a disruptor. And I I think I think catalyst is a better better term because it suggests it's not a transformation. There's nothing especially new that's come out of COVID, but it's accelerated a lot of different things. And and I think virtual care is just a great case in point. It's been going for 10, 20 years. It's just taken an absolute necessity for it to happen. Um, the, I think the, the the other thing that we're seeing getting solved is the, you know, part of the issue, part of the challenges with virtual care is that, you know, you can't, you can't take vitals virtually, right? So there's a limit. There are some use cases and some specialties that virtual care lends itself particularly well, like telepsychiatry. But, you know, you can't, you, you, you can't yet perform a procedure virtually but it is interesting though sort of like the, it is it's also driving demand of remote monitoring and and more devices being used in the home that you know wouldn't necessarily have been accepted and adopted mm. yeah I, you know i i think adam you know i was actually uh, doing some independent research on this and you know not to be problematic but i arrived at the idea that you know covid isn't our first respiratory 
pandemic epidemic in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, right? We've, we've right. lived through Mars, we've lived, <laughs> MERS, we've lived, lived through SARS, yep. uh, you know, obviously we've had Ebola, et cetera. So, you know, we look at all these, uh, you know, obviously mass casualty events and we say, what have we learned and how have we changed? Now, COVID really was the first of those that had our hospitals realize that they were at the brink. Right. They weren't going to make it. And so whether we call it a catalyst, I, I look at that word is to say, look, we realized that we needed to harness innovation to be able to change and adapt and, and be resilient. Um, and, and I really feel as though that is a boon to how healthcare has adopted technology mm -hmm. into clinical practice. And, and truly, uh, you know, I think it's, it's been a very positive reception. Yes, absolutely. Let, let's switch gears a, gears a bit and sort of talk more about the marketing issues. And I mean, you've you've been involved in business to business healthcare, um, sales and marketing for 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 a while across some really you know interesting and significant organisations. And you know, in many regards, those some of those organisations are places where you learn, you know, and you teach others, and they have sort of a you know they 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 do they they do things the right way, um, but you know, what do you think? Based on what you see right now, is what do you think that sales and marketing people just get wrong consistently? Well, I think yeah, I, I've been in B two B healthcare marketing uh, for for quite a while, and I think what we have to appreciate is that health systems themselves are changing. And that's because our customers in the market itself is changing. And, and ultimately, many times, uh, we may rely on prior evidence, prior research, uh, prior uh, colleague PowerPoints that help segment the market and offer us personas, et cetera. And, and that is the easy, simple way of trying to understand what a market is. Today, for example, hospital marketing is advancing different themes. Hospitals today are focusing on education. They're focusing on safety, reassurance, mm. uh, just the human connection. So if we would say that our ROI, uh, our, our, our value proposition is purely ROI, then we're missing what hospitals are trying to market today, which is experience. It's not just experience for the patient. It's also for their own providers, right? So I think the first thing we have to make sure of is that we are absolutely present and current with our audience and understanding the dynamics that are shifting. Mm -hmm. um, I think also what we see today is health systems are investing significantly in their identities within the community. And that's to differentiate their brand. As you mentioned about digitization and digital transformation, they're entering into the online marketplace of brands. Um, and so strengthening an online brand for, for patients is a, is a large task. It's not just about care delivery. It's about care experience. And so what we're also noticing here in, in B2B marketing, Adam, is that the roles that we speak to and try and reach out to are growing beyond the classic CXO structure of medical officer, operations officer, finance, and, and executive. Uh, things like the chief digital officer. Yeah. How are we connecting information? That's not a CIO. This is a CDO. CDOs are, are very interesting groups that are bringing together not only medical experience, but actually a lot of times entrepreneurial experience. Yep. Absolutely. And so we're, yeah. we're talking to innovators. 
And, and those innovator, innovators will challenge a company whose marketing and positioning seems generic and undifferentiated. So I think, again, the most important thing right now is to personalize what we are trying to communicate. And, and many times in that personalization, it's not about a large swath segmentation. It's about really trying to understand the specific prospective customer. And at the end, as much as it is about sharing the value proposition to me of why Equum, uh, I actually find I have remarkable conversations uh, that customers appreciate when I say, why are we choosing you? Not that every customer is the perfect customer mm -hmm. for us, but we're doing enough homework to realize that we need to make sure that you're also the right fit. Now, mm. over time, what that gets to is the idea of partnerships. And partnerships in healthcare used to be a Rolodex of, you know, different vendors that a health system may, you know, be receiving different services for. But we also know that's going through an immense consolidation. Hospitals aren't trying to have 700 partners. They might try and have 70 all the way up to seven, right? Very strategic. Yeah. yeah. So to me right now, the best relationship is a disintermediated one where I may not independently as an organization be able to offer the goods and services that complete my customers' needs, but I have the connections and the ability as a service platform to bring all of that to them. Huh. That to me is what's happening. And that's what to me is winning. It's very interesting. I mean, just breaking that down a bit, you know, get back to the question about what a lot of people get wrong is that, you know, I think in marketing, there's so much focus on demand generation, right? And um, what's especially challenging in healthcare is the sales cycles are incredibly long and the number of people involved in the buyer collective involved in making a decision are more than in, in, in other industries typically. And so I, I kind of think about it is that you, you know, it's not like selling a $10,000 piece of financial services software where you've got, you know, a 30 day closing cycle, if maybe, you know, maybe, maybe less. And you're just all like generating, filling the funnel with as many leads as possible. It's about starting and, you know, it, it's about, starting a, the right relationship in the right place in an organization and then nurturing that relationship and expanding it over time. I mean, it's sort of, a, and that sounds, sounds like an, a kind of old school, right? And it's an old school relationship selling, which is what we're moving away from, but it's trying to do that at scale and do, do that digi digitally. And that's incredibly hard. And it's particularly difficult when you're kind of measured against, well, how many leads have you, how many, how many leads are in the pipeline right now? Well, I think I, I agree. And I, I, I share that what I still find believable is people look for what's trusted. Now, I believe that our audience is more empowered than ever with information. The, uh, period at which in a sales cycle, a prospective uh, customer approaches an actual vendor for a demo, mm. et cetera, mm. is much later than it used to be because there's so much yeah. more information they can get from digital or omni-channel marketing. If it's YouTube, if it's, uh, you know, calculators, et cetera. So they're much more educated. And, and actually what's interesting is, and, and actually data suggests as a customer starts working through a problem, over 90% of the time, 
that customer already has the two or three vendors that they think may sell. Oh, absolutely. Right. And that's already coming to it. So now you say, if you're not one of those top three, how are you getting in there? So really that challenge has to begin about more smartly aligning the right tools that are accessible, easy, and build the trust in that relationship. Great example to me is this concept of digital twins, because I think no matter what, if you're designing your own car or buying a car or buying a home or, 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 or selecting a, a, a digital uh, informatics partner for a hospital, you realize that you want it to be unique. There is a personality and identity to it. So you want to be able to test the variables that are important to you. If I come into every hospital with, here are the two ways to reach ROI on length of stay and mortality, many eyes are going to glaze over because they may see that their challenge is uh, leakage or provider availability or staff turnover. And we need to allow people to arrive at those conclusions on their own, not just telling them. And so I think part of that journey of arrival is very, very important in providing customers with the right tools hmm. that they can become educated on. You, you use the term of digital twins. What, what does that mean? So I think digital twin usually relates to oncology, et cetera, as you see physicians using a, a mirror of a patient, where really what they're doing is being able to um, test different variables, different hypotheses, oh, and right. different courses of treatment. Well, you know, in business, it's the same thing, right? If we're able to model out quickly and electronically, mm-hmm. how will the solution aid us in arriving at an optimal solution? And, and again, many times, all of those variables are not understood, right? right? There are probably two or three intrinsic variables that a customer may be very focused on. And usually that's one that's mm. driven by the, 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 the leadership imperative. How, but how do you do that? I mean, so, you know, I, I get the, obviously get the notion of A-B testing and multivariate testing. And I, I, you know, I use it all the time as a way to improve the effectiveness of emails and, you know, marketing a webinar or testing different messaging. Um, how do you do it if you're tracking a relationship over time? How do you do? How do you do what you've described there, which is, I guess, about personalization, right? You're trying to find what resonates most with the person that you're selling to, as them as an individual versus selling to somebody else. I mean, it's sort of how do you do personalization? at scale over long periods of time? So I, I think almost as though uh, very similar to the, the data that's being collected every time we engage with an app, right. as, as we approach gated content and we're able to watch people over time engage with that gated content and test different variables, yeah. that information is informing us about what's important to them or even potentially what's curious to them. And no matter if it's in, you know, the Pareto's, you know, uh, know, 20% or the 80%, then we can actually test that by pushing other ideas or variables towards that, that online calculator or tool for engagement. Right. Um, And, and really that allows us to build that over time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And you're building that relationship, that engagement. Now, I also do feel as though, Many times in marketing, we're not persistent enough in our engagement. And that doesn't mean cold calls, Hmm. following up. It's really providing more information, right? If we're able to, uh, you know, 
you know, rise its eye or, or buoy information for an individual that's curious. And we are able to direct that to them that eliminates some of the work that they're doing independently. It's going to make that successful, right? So, you know, the, the more information we're directing that's concise and specific to their interests, the better. And so yeah. as we're moving that process of engagement along, it's really being able to take the data and curate nurturing content. So for example, mm-hmm. if, you know, following through with this digital twin concept, if, for example, Adam, the individual is really interested in understanding patient flow, where patients are coming to and where patients are exiting in the system, we can actually try and bring some peer-reviewed evidence that supports that notion and the different variables that are included. And so we're actually trying to make sure that their learning process isn't just a, a, a single vector. Right. It's really interesting. It's, I mean, that's, and it's such a hard thing to do. Uh, particularly for, you know, for smaller companies that don't have the resources because it takes an awful lot of content and a system for delivering it so that you can, you can track that, track the breadcrumbs, right, of somebody's journey and then, and, and then actually analyze that and gain some insight that'll help you improve what you're doing. Um, I, I want to talk about the, a notion that you talked about. You, you mentioned, you said trust. And, you know, trust, I guess it also relates to brand. You know, you, you've, you've been around the block. So have you seen companies get that right? And have you seen companies just completely blow that? I mean, how do you, how do you build trust in, in, the, in the market that we're in? So, I, yeah, and I think there's a lot of uh, interesting ways to, to look at that. Um, you know, we see brands and organizations that align with athletes that sometimes get trust wrong, right? And, and get identity wrong. Yeah, right. Uh, and yeah, then <laughs> sometimes we see it go really right. I believe as we look at, at healthcare and brands, there's a difference between awareness and availability. And, and of course, you know, I've left the big monikers of GE and Phillips. So, you know, Equum's not on everybody's, you know, tongue yet, but it will be right. soon. Uh, so to me, I think the difference between awareness and availability is awareness. People might say, oh, I've heard about Equum, right? I might have read a, a blog or, or a post. But when I think about availability, it's, it's mental availability. It, it's this idea that I, I have a problem. And for some reason, Equum Medical as a brand comes up and is considered as an actual Right. You know, solution, yeah. you know, for, for my buying situation. And, and I think that comes through, honestly, uh, a, a longer cycle of engagement mm-hmm. and, and sharing information. And, and really, I think as, as our brains kind of, you know, uh, advance through time and, and you know, I, I look at I look my own kids, Adam, you know, I always joke 15 second videos are now the way of, of communication, right? So I think we're less tolerant to try and go through an immense amount of information. We need that distilled down very simply, but we need it continuously. Because right. what, what we'll also do is brands are for, you know, forgetful, right? We, we can forget brands and, and interesting events if we don't have that continuous stream and reminder that what they do is important to us. And so for me, as you said earlier, you know, I, I think this idea of purposeful messaging mm. that's that's built over time 
right? So, you know, people call it a, you know, random acts of content. You know, that's, that's not what we're trying to do is, you know, push out one idea and measure if it works. We're really trying to systematically build a theme and a bridge across everything mm-hmm. we're doing. Somebody who I think did that remarkably well was Steve Jobs at Apple. You know, you would start nine months before the launch of a new iPhone. And he begin by talking about how, you know, we didn't like things that were really big in our pockets or in our hands, or we didn't <laughs> like wires on headphones. And frankly, none of us realized we didn't like it till he told us. And then when the solution came out six months later and said, look, here's yeah. the new iPhone X. And by the way, it's wireless and, and it, it, it charges without you plugging it in. We also mm. absolutely genius. Right. So I, yeah. again, there is a, a mental battle in making sure we're connecting the needs of our customers that are relevant today and ever changing dynamically to what we're delivering as a solution. So it's quite interesting. I, 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 what you've got me to think about is, is the notion that, you know, when you're creating content, people are much more interested actually in many regards in reading about a problem than they are about a solution. And I think that's part of trust as well, because you've got to, um, you know, I, th- I guess one of the, the the foundations of trust is that, you know, you have something in common and these people get, you know, who, the, the people who's, who's trying to sell to me here fully understands the problem and they've articulated it in an interesting way. And it's only when I really buy that they get my problem that I'm willing to actually listen to what they might suggest as a solution. Because until I've, uh, until I've, you know, if I don't buy that they get my problems, I, their solution can't possibly be right. Um, and that's what I guess Steve, what Steve Jobs was doing was selling you on you, on you had a problem. And then, it, and then you know, uh, ta-da, here's the solution you've been waiting for. <laughs> yeah, he did a reasonably good job of that. I oh, he did. Yeah, he did. But, they, uh, not, they, they haven't done too badly. Even yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I even see it in some of the talent coming up through university now and really that idea of of purpose right Mm -hmm. i feel if i can communicate and articulate our company's mission and vision very simply and speak about purpose it it resonates Mm -hmm. and it's much more genuine than if i just talk about our goods and services yeah um you know even at Equum, Adam, one of the first things we brainstormed is what are we trying to do? Well, well, the challenge is we have, you know, doctors and nurses and, and care staff teams, and we have patients, but we're not equitably level loaded, right? You know, it's like two glasses of water. One's a quarter full, one's, one's fully full. Everything works better if it's, you know, half full each, right? If, if we're trying to serve a table. So that concept of level loading, et cetera, was very critical to us. And mm-hmm. ultimately, what was genuine there was our mission is to unlock that, you know, provider productivity that, that's, that's, that's not unlocked because of telehealth, because of proximity right. and geography. Yep. And, and, and all of a sudden, everybody said, oh, I get it. Right. Why, why would we do that? Why, why would we yeah. all of a sudden take all of our providers in a certain city and, and make them go into a command center? Why would we do that? We don't, we don't do that to Uber drivers, mm-hmm. right? Right. No, we don't have a big bus. We have distributed uh, federated network of, of, of providers. And that's exactly what healthcare so far is just on the frontiers of, right? And as consumers, 
everything through our lives in the past two years has been virtualized. Our entire life operations from banking to shopping to working to dating is completely transformed and it's convenient. It's convenient. I can have Starbucks delivered if I want on my doorstep. However, I can't have my prescription delivered or I can't see a physician when I need to and I still have to wait for an, an appointment. This is what telehealth has changed. It has made healthcare in the broad spectrum of things more convenient and accessible. Mm-hmm. And I think in a country where we do see such disparity and equity, that is actually going to help. It yeah. is going to solve yeah. some of that inequity. Well, and uh, what's so striking to me is what you're describing is that, you know, the Simon, the, the thing that the Simon Sinek notion of you start with why. That's the, your why, your purpose as a company is about equity. It's in the name, right? Equum equity, it's, it, it's there. Um, and uh, you, you clearly, you, the passion you speak about, it's genuine. And that, you know, that, that's such a, a fundamental, fundamental you know, foundation of, of great marketing and great brand marketing is to really passionately believe in that in that purpose you've got to be the evangelist for it and i think i think to your point also the boundaries of being a competitor have to be grayed to really be successful these days mm. so it is not hardware versus software versus services really customers want all three and so if we want uh you know people process and technology to lead to a better healthcare world then we as marketeers need to make sure that we have a blended message that supports other markets and and other products and other companies. And and again, I think that really reinforces that idea of disintermediation. At the end of the day, when my my automobiles and and the shop getting fixed, I want the solution to be a fixed automobile Mm -hmm. that's operating, right? I, I am expecting that through that supply chain, the parts, the people, the technology to make it work, are all going to work together. Now, interestingly enough, in healthcare, we still divide those. So I really think there's a massive opportunity to market that community service concept and bringing together and uniting those dis- those disparate pieces. Absolutely. Well, Carson, I could talk to you all day. We've got to wrap things up here. And I'm going to ask you the question I always ask all my guests, and that is, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice um, what would that advice be? What's well, something that's going to be helpful to folks listening to this podcast? Um, well, that's a tough one, but I, I'll tell you this, you know, coming from a background where I didn't think I would move into healthcare and moving into healthcare and interviewing people that, that want to make the leap into healthcare. Coming into healthcare is about having the purpose and the meaning to want to deliver care. Just because I'm not a doctor doesn't mean I'm not helping people as you are expanding knowledge and access yourself, Adam. I think it's critical. So, so the key to me is understand and be able to take your key assets in your marketing toolkit and apply them to healthcare, just as you would in hmm. a consumer role, a retail role, a, a banking or financial role, et cetera. And right now, we're seeing that happening in healthcare. We're seeing those great divides between consumerism and, and med tech and healthcare coming together. Um, so for me, I think uh, I always say the best thing I've been my entire life is curious. Uh, 
so the more <laughs> curious we are, uh, the more trouble we get into, the more friends we make, and hopefully more uh, more solutions we can create. Yeah, I love that idea. Well, Carsten, thank you. It's been such a pleasure having Thanks, you on the Adam. show, and um, you know, really, really grateful to you. Um, before we go, I do want to let everybody know that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, on Spotify, whatever your favorite um, podcast uh, podcast application is. Um, and you can view the video um, of this interview through a link uh, in the podcast uh, or through my website, Health Launchpad. Um, we've got uh, more guests coming up. We've got a calendar built out for the next few months. Um, so do subscribe. And uh, thank you to you, dear listener. Uh, and if you've got a topic that you'd like us to cover, you can email me at adam at healthlaunchpad.com and uh, or find me on LinkedIn and just let me know what you want to talk about. So thank you, Carsten. And uh, thank you, everybody else for listening.